Hello, and welcome to another episode of HashMap on Tap. I am Randy Pitcher, and joined today with Kelly Kaleffel. Today, we're going to talk about HubSpot and sales analytics here at HashMap. Uh, Kelly, what are you drinking today? Hey, Randy. Good afternoon. I am enjoying a Carbock Love Street Blonde Pale Ale. Okay. Really nice. Yeah, man, just uh, nice, crisp. And uh, we are hitting some ridiculous humidity and heat temperatures in Houston right now. So something that's not too heavy is is exactly what the doctor called for. Man. Okay. So this isn't your first time having Love Street, right? Correct. Okay. Longtime fan? Uh, I mean, you know, I... I, I I go back and forth. So uh, I this is my style, though. This is what I enjoy. Okay. Have you had this before? I have had what, it. What's your experience? With so it? my wife loves it. When we lived in Houston, she doesn't really like beer, but she really likes this beer. And I think the branding isn't. It's like a '60s theme uh, thing going on Love Street. Uh, yeah. But it's a it's a Kolsch beer. It's a I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a hybrid of some kind. And I know people who like that. They like lots of other hybrids just like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Did did uh, her love of this beer rub off on you, or? Oh, I, you know, it's a little, it's a little IPA style for me. I really don't like the, the really bitter hoppy kind of flavor. It's great in the summer, like you said. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's a great festival beer. Um, but I, I prefer something a little darker. So today, all right, yeah. What are you drinking? Yeah, this I'm drinking um, Purple Haze from Abita and. I really like this beer because it's it's got like a raspberry flavor to it. For me, it's my kind of summer beer. Uh, it's one of my favorites, and it's pretty easy to get all across the U.S. Um, as opposed to, I mean, Carbox is easy easy to get as well, but like Buffalo Bayou is kind of hard to get in certain parts of the country, right? Yeah. Um, so this one is a wheat beer, which makes it really really drinkable. That's why it's kind of a nice summer beer, but the raspberry gives it a nice little almost tart twist. Too. I like it. Sounds really good. I like that little fruit twist on the end too in the summer. Very nice. Oh man, yeah. No, this is a great one. Uh, yeah. But hey, so I'll have to try it. Uh, HubSpot. We're talking about HubSpot today, and I think before we dive directly into like what HubSpot and HashMap are doing together, you've got a long history with CRMs in general. Do you want to maybe set the stage? What is a CRM, and what's been your experience with them in your in your very successful sales career? <laughs> yeah, it's been a love-hate relationship with CRM <laughs> systems, I have to say, man. It's uh so I have been I'm I'm an old guy. I've been around a long time and believe it or not, my my sales CRM history started when I was with a small consult consulting company I was with for 12 years. And there was a product out there called Act ACT. It was single user, single database. Whoa. And yeah, and it would let you, you know, start developing some content and, and uh, developing some information and context about, about contacts, companies, customers, that type thing. But I mean, it was uh, it was fairly limited, obviously. I think later on, they did come out with a multi-user, maybe server-based version. But again, this is way back in the day. This is 90s. Yeah, so so CRM was a new term to me when I joined uh, a sales team. Does that stand for customer relationship management software? I mean, that it, it what is a CRM? Yeah, exactly. Customer relationship management. It's how you manage the interactions with your customers, the companies that they're associated with, and essentially the activity that you're engaged with for those particular customers. It essentially becomes your for any company that's using a CRM. It is your customer system of record. You really rely on that for decision making and actions coming out of anything associated with sales. 
and you know, <laughs> talked about ACT a little bit, single user, single database, single person, that, that becomes tough, right? Yeah. How do you really scale that? It's not much. I, so uh, in, what year was it? 2003, I guess, I moved to Oracle. I was at Oracle for 10 years, and Oracle at the time had something called Oracle Sales Online, OSO, uh, as it was lovingly named. Uh, challenging, it was more of a uh, multi-user experience, but you know, kind of cumbersome to use. It was fairly early days in the, you know, kind of the SaaS market and everything. It wasn't a, a SaaS. It ran in a, you know, ran in a data center. Yeah. But still a better experience in single user, single database. So and, um, with with a tool like that, so I know what like a CRM can do today. Um, has it been basically the same stuff for the last 20 years or back then? Was it really just like a Rolodex on the, on the cloud? It, it no, I mean you still tracked opportunities and in, in deals, and you were able to do some limited marketing, I would say, but not like it is today. Not okay. like we do today with with HubSpot, our, our instance. Um, I think that the probably the gold standard in terms of what everybody knows and the lion's share of the market is Salesforce.com, okay. SFDC. Uh, so. From Oracle, 10 years, moved over to Hortonworks for three and a half years, and Hortonworks had Salesforce. Okay. So I got a three and a half years of, of using Salesforce, which is a great tool as well. I think that you know what you find with some of these tools is you can over-complexify them. You can get them to the point where somebody in the field really doesn't want to use them. <laughs> it's too, it's too cumbersome, it takes too much time, all that kind of stuff. And so uh for me at Hortonworks at the time, that's kind of where we were with Salesforce. And, and it, it balances a little bit, right? Because you want to have enough detail in there where you can do some interesting management level reporting, but you don't want to make it so onerous that yeah. in the field, it just takes so much of your time to do the administrative work. Okay. And so that that brings us up to maybe modern days with HashMap and HubSpot. So you are the HashMap kind of sales person. You and sales, they're kind of the same thing. Can you talk about the early days with HashMap and what it was like to maybe, I mean, was HubSpot around back then or did you add that later? <laughs> there was no HubSpot. So I came <laughs> over to, so left Hortonworks in late uh, 17 and came, or sorry, early 17, came over to HashMap, February of 17. No sales system, no CRM. We really operated off of spreadsheets and file shares and those types of things. I mean, it was just... It was extremely, um, there, there just was not a lot of fluidity. There was not a lot of data sharing. There was zero reporting that you could do other than with just tons of manual effort. And so we we limped along like that the first year that I was here and finally kind of threw up my hands, man, Preet Paul Prasad, we have got to do something. We got to get something in here that is going to allow us to scale because the company was growing pretty quickly, even during that that uh, two, 2017 timeframe. Yeah. And so we decided to do an evaluation of the CRM solutions that were uh, out there at the time. And again, remember, you're talking about a really small sales organization and marketing organization. Basically, it was a team of one, yeah. but there were a lot of other folks in the company that could leverage the data to make better decisions about, you know, how are we going to form up the delivery teams and the consulting teams and operationally, you know, the, the profit, but all those kind of things kind of go into what happens on that front end. And so we ended up looking at, um, obviously looked at Salesforce uh, because that you know kind of the the gold standard out there. But looked at a company called Zoho, which I think is still around. Looked at Sugar CRM, which is still around. A few <laughs> others. I just honestly I don't remember the names of now. Yeah. 
And I, I can't tell you for sure why we selected HubSpot. I mean, we developed the criteria. They graded out really well. But there was something about the way that they interacted with us. I didn't feel any pressure to do business with them. There was no hard sell. It was, here's, here's who we are. Here's how we work. You know, here are the solutions that we have. And they were pretty, you know, fairly young at the time um, and just got a good feel for, just felt like it would be a good match. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I can talk a little bit more about some of the, the cool stuff that HubSpot brings to the table in terms of their service, which we really liked in the evaluation, but that's how we ended up on HubSpot. So we've been on HubSpot now for about two and a half years, which is a pretty good time. And interestingly, <laughs> From where we started with HubSpot, Randy, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, our spend has gone up 5x. Really? During, dur yeah, yeah, yeah. During that two and a half years. And you'd go, wow, you know, you guys, yeah, your spending's not. No, I'm actually, this is a SaaS-based solution you pay for monthly with a subscription. And you know intrinsically if you are getting the value or not. Yep. If you're not, you turn off a module. You turn something off if you're not. And so... You go, wow, 5X spend, that's really high compared to what you were. Did I think I'd be there? No. Am I happy with the value that's being delivered? Absolutely. You know, I, I really like that about SaaS products where if our spend doubles, the implication for what that means for our business, like we're happy. Yeah, let's double it, right? Um, we, we use um, some tracking software, right, in different parts of the business uh, where we can track different leads and people who are looking at our content and we think, man... If we get to a certain scale, it's going to cost a lot per month. But if we hit that scale, we'll be happy to pay it. Absolutely. I, I am a I'm a huge fan of, of SaaS based approaches. I think taking the you know, we don't do I mean, how many people do we have managing and operating HubSpot today? I mean, none. Yeah. There, there isn't anybody. We trust HubSpot to do that. I don't know how many servers they have dedicated. I don't care yeah. because the experience that I get is extremely, extremely high. I don't get any emails at the end of the month going, hey, we're going to be down over the weekend. You know, that that do just doesn't happen. It is a very, very clean experience, very high level. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm a huge HubSpot fan. We're not, and by the way, I guess for everybody that's listening, we don't resell HubSpot. We don't implement HubSpot. All, we are just a customer of HubSpot. Yep. So, um, you know, I highly recommend if you're looking at sales and marketing solutions, you got to give these guys a call. Uh, they will do you right. Um, we, it's interesting. I, I mentioned the five X increase in, in, uh, in, in, uh, what we pay HubSpot. So we started out in 2018 with the sales hub. So think contacts, companies, deals, that kind of very familiar, right? Yeah. Uh, we added reporting in 2019. So they have an internal reporting module. I'm not talking Tableau or Click or anything like that. This is a, a HubSpot specific reporting module. And then early this year, we were doing a lot of ramp up on the marketing side. So we added the marketing hub. So think email marketing, campaigns, website forms, a lot of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, when when we originally looked at, at HubSpot, though, and again, this kind of goes to that SaaS conversation. So the SaaS goodness of zero maintenance, no infrastructure to deal with, just nada, nothing, yeah. not, not a bit. Pay by the month for what I use and the value being delivered. If I don't like it, I'm not getting value, turn it off. Uh, customer service, man, off the charts. I, uh, I needed to get a customer report built recently. This is within the last two or three weeks. I could not figure out how to do it. And the reporting 
engine is extremely easy to use, but this one was fairly complex. I could not figure it out. This was not a can thing. This is a cust highly custom report. It was took me maybe two or three minutes to get a HubSpot support person on the on not not just on the phone, actually on a on a web call. Yeah. And literally spent about 45 minutes with me on a custom report. I'm thinking the whole time at some point they're gonna just they're gonna pull the flag and go, that enough's enough, you know. <laughs> but very patient. Yeah. I mean, just just incredible. In fact, it was so the experience was so good. I actually uh put a post out on LinkedIn just talking. I mean, it's just incredible. A lot of APIs to connect other data sources, very easy to learn and use. I think for me, um, you know, at Hashpap, we're really big on trying to contribute to the community. And I take a lot of uh, the things that I see that HubSpot does from that perspective, too, and try to help apply those here because they're huge on community. Yeah, It's interesting. I've never had, even from day one, anybody have to sell me something at HubSpot. We called them, and every time I've needed to add something in, send Roxanne McCool, fantastic uh, AE with with uh, HubSpot, send Roxanne a note, hey, Roxanne, we need to add something, help me out. And uh, she just does a, a fantastic job with that. So literally, the model is really cool that there's literally almost no selling. There's there's no pressure, no nothing. I want to use more. Help me use more, you know? Yeah, and I think that's a more modern way to approach sales. So I'm curious from your perspective, like how is this different from your, your experience with Salesforce? Because Salesforce, for me, that seems to be the dominant when we were working with integration projects uh, with large clients, overwhelmingly they use Salesforce. So, uh, you know, what, what makes HubSpot different from the user perspective? Yeah, Salesforce is interesting too. I mean, the the sales model that Salesforce had in the in the early days, and they probably still do a fantastic job. I've never been in the Salesforce. Um, I've never been in the company, but just knowing how they interact with the customers that we worked with, they they really were one of those first cloud based. They were one. They may have been the first SaaS, uh, true SaaS solution out there, but they. They went after this land and expand model. Let me get, they didn't go after talking to IT departments and trying to do large deals. They went in at the department or division or business unit level, yeah. showed value to a sales team or showed value to a team that could leverage the type of solution that they had and then grew it from there. And the the way that they did it was, it was love so much that I, IT couldn't even pull it out. Yep. I mean, it was, an, it was an incredible strategy and they just, they grew like wildfire. Um, I think I think today uh, for me it's it's a little bit different because I've got I've got some control over you know what are the properties that we want to see around you know companies and contacts and deals and what are the kind of reports that we want to see and so I'm really in the position where I need to do two things I need to optimize the the management reporting which I think Salesforce has been fantastic at I mean there's so much customization that you could do with Salesforce to really optimize decision-making. But again, it complexified it and it stretched the time out at the field level for the people that were you know, doing the, the input on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think that's the balance. I think you can certainly with HubSpot get complex. Probably today at HashMap, we have too many properties. <laughs> you and I have talked about that a couple of, you know, it, there's some properties that aren't being used. So we, we've over-complexified to a degree, but I think at the same time, it's also a solution where you're not. Uh, it, it, it to me, it doesn't feel painful having to having to use it, and and that was the main thing. I I think the three and a half years that I that I used it, I know there was value in it, 
but I, it just felt like something I didn't want to deal with. HubSpot, on the other hand, uh, and I've put in a ton of opportunities into HubSpot over the last two and a half years. I don't mind it. I'm not saying it's fun, but it's not bad either. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a no, it's it's not a bad experience. Yeah. I don't I don't dread it. Yeah. Right. Um, from from a kind of different perspective. So I came from a a more like traditional software engineering background when I joined your team. And the CRM was really just the place I like, if I remembered, should put my notes after a technical call, right? Uh, for me, that's all it was. And moving into more customer facing outbound sales uh, activities, you, you start to understand the value of like knowing a history with a specific person, seeing them bounce from company to company, because that does happen. It's a small world of knowing our deal history of like, okay, this client is coming and they want to do a snowflake cloud engagement, but our history with them has been on-prem Hadoop. And so being able to like carry that context forward from a technical perspective and speak to the, the team members using language they're probably already familiar with, that was really critical for me. And, and that's the sales side. But then moving into marketing, this has really become our like central nervous system for all marketing in sales, right? Um, and so understanding how you can craft good uh, customer relationship building email content uh, that's been a huge learning for me. And then flowing that through the, the kind of sales funnel, which I'm fond of talking about because it's the sales funnel. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's such a powerful concept for me and it's so new and it's helped me with what I do. Um, I know it's boring to a lot of other sales folks, but um, I found that HubSpot was really good at giving me what I needed to get a specific job done, but then also helping me get better in the domain. It wasn't just about a good product. It was about a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, you talked a little bit about the sales funnel. I think, again, that's an area that in the in the sales game, we tend to overcomplexify. I think for, for us at HashMap, we've kept it relatively simple. Yep. Uh, we go 10%, 20, 40, 60, 80, and then closed or, or closed loss. So, we you know, four or five stages in there that, uh, again, don't cause somebody to continually shift things around. Could I have more than that in HubSpot? Absolutely. Generally, are there a lot more than that in Salesforce? Yeah, in, at least in my experience, there are. So you're just constantly manipulating the data. How how can I get the most value out of that data with the least amount of, of effort? I guess is the is the way to put it. You know, max value, uh, least effort, uh, especially from a field perspective. Absolutely. And I think that you know there there are a lot of opportunities there, both on the for the sales analytics as well as the marketing analytics. I mean, it's it's really simple. There's a lot of stuff that's out of the box, a lot of out of the box uh, reporting in HubSpot, a lot of analytics that are just they're just there. It it, it connects up to the, your own data, and those reports are ready to go. But it's also a pretty simple process, really simple process actually for creating a new custom report. So if I want to, you know, I select the object. I've got this concept of objects, right? I've got um, you know, maybe deals, I've got contacts, I've got companies, I've got products. I select the, do I want one object? Do I want multiple objects? Select the properties for those, maybe the amount, the deal name, the owner, those types of things. I set my filters. Do I want to filter by the deal stage or the create date or the close date? Those types of things. It's, and again, this is all point and click, drag, drop. And then it's as simple as just selecting a visualization type. So I can select the chart that I want. All the usual suspects are in there, the, yeah. the whole range of options. I mean, it's 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 pretty good. Again, it's, this is not Tableau. You're not going to have that type of a palette. <laughs> but for a 
you know, uh, wizard driven and very uh, point and click type driven interface that uh, is, is simple to easy, uh, simple and easy to use. It works really well. And then I just save it. I, I can add it to a dashboard. I can save it as an individual report. I can clone the report. I can edit the report, all those types of things. And, you know, it's not perfect. I mean, uh, HubSpot, one of the big challenges right now is, is, for instance, product reporting. The product object is not well integrated with deals. It's well known. This is not an a earth shattering thing that I'm saying. It's well known in the HubSpot community. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, more than anything, though, just that amount of flexibility that you have can lead to, you know, just some self-imposed complexity sometimes. And you can waste time on some reporting or analytics because you have, you know, kind of over-complexified the way that you're using the solution. Yeah. No, that's important to know. And from a data engineering perspective, something that's really attractive about HubSpot is it it is that collection of our sales and marketing effort. So it's that single source, right? That I can tap that and I can do some really incredible things uh, and build some insights that would typically be really difficult if you had like a marketing system and then a, a sales system and then also like your contact system, like if it, they were all separated. It's a great point. I mean, when you have a system of record like HubSpot that you can trust the data in, that's the key thing. If you don't have the data trust and I'm pulling from three or four different systems, I really need to know that data lineage and the governance associated with it. This stuff we do all the time, right, with our customers. But you have to make sure that that's there. There's some work to ensure that that lineage and governance is all taken care of. And when you say that it's this deal at this amount, that everything ties together, for us right now with HubSpot, I mean, it's it is the single source. If if we put in bad data, obviously that's one thing. But as long as we're inputting the right things, everything is there. Now, there there may be times where those I think we've got a hundred and close to 200, 176, 180 custom reports today. We still may need to do some other things above and beyond that. I may need to use the the API because I don't have the exactly the right. Um, solution within HubSpot to do that customer report that I need. And that's where you could bring in, I think, Randy, some of the, the tableaus and other solutions and connect up to HubSpot or connect up to connect HubSpot up to a cloud data platform or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's that's one of my most favorite things about HubSpot is the integrations and, and really in three specific areas that I find to be critical. One is getting data synced across different services. So if you if you need to validate a bunch of email addresses to make sure they actually work, there are services that integrate directly with HubSpot and will clean that data for you. Or if you need to import from some other system or you need to integrate Zoom uh, and be able to like have aggregation tracking, it's just such a, a leader in the space that it has all these connections of high quality that I don't have to do it myself. The other space is reporting, as you mentioned. So being able to extract some of this data out and then build really, really complex reporting that maybe munges together Google Analytics data, um, some external sources that are not standard, they're maybe HashMap specific, maybe some of our specific accounting information uh, that we can build really, really nuanced, highly advanced analytics on top of. And then the third space that I think is about to just explode across all industries is automation. How many different reports and other systems do we have automated that wait on triggers in HubSpot? So we have a deal that moves from 40% we're talking to 60%, we actually have a quote out. Um, that can trigger all kinds of stuff in our other non-sales organizations to start to prepare for the delivery of a new project, right? Um, that kind of power in one spot, that's hard to find. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're right. We we talk about HubSpot as you know sales and marketing system of record, but it abs whatever happens there absolutely flows on down. For our business, as you said, if something goes to sixty percent, that means we've sent a, a statement of work out to a client. Uh, you know, we're not just sending these things out randomly, right? No. I mean, usually there's some intent to uh, do business together at some level. So uh, when that hits, that immediately alerts based on those workflow automation uh, pieces that you said in HubSpot, it alerts and says, hey, we need to start preparing on the delivery side. Maybe this thing is four, six, eight weeks out. Let's get a team assembled. Let's match up the skills. Let's match up the capabilities to what the client outcome is and what the client is looking to achieve from an outcome standpoint. And then when it hits 80%, which is you know verbal, hey, Pashmap, you're the guys, let's go. Let's, let's go make this thing happen. Uh, then again, those workflow automation tasks and the visibility and the uh, capability that HubSpot gives you to interface with some of those other, uh, well, certainly other stakeholders within HashMap, but even other, other systems becomes important. I know we've done uh, some work, uh, our PMO, uh, Kim Duffel has done a, a decent amount of work so far interfacing with Smartsheets yep. uh, with HubSpot. And I believe she's using a solution called a Zapier or Zapier. I'm not sure how that's pronounced and zapping uh, <laughs> different uh, HubSpot uh, data sets over to different systems and connecting them up. So a lot of great cap uh, capabilities there that again, go above and beyond what is just kind of in the out of the box HubSpot. Yeah, no, it's a power, powerful tool for sure. Um, but hey, Kelly, how's that beer? Well, I feel like I have been just talking your ear off here. So I <laughs> uh, have not had to, uh, not been able to enjoy it as much as I would like, but it is still nice and cold okay. and uh, drinking very, very well. I'm, I don't, actually, I'm not even halfway through yet. Really? How about you? How, how's yours uh, rolling on? I, I just wrapped it up. It's gone. I, I have been doing way too much talking. <laughs> well, I, I've been doing that strategically because this is my favorite beer. Uh, good call. Yeah, being able to get there is good. But uh, moving yeah. into the second half, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the activities involved in successfully turning some of this data into insight or action and how we think about that, right? Because it, it can be easy to just get caught up in building cool graphics. But if you don't do anything different, if you can't make a decision on it, it's not useful. How do you think about that? Well, I think that, uh, again, for, for me, I, I want, <laughs> give me data that I have to do as little work for that's as valuable as possible. Um, you know, again, I'm going to, I'm going to, for me, I'm going to default to what I can do with the reporting that HubSpot brings to the table. I think on your side and this, see, I see, I got to get uh, a little bit of my beer in here. So let me, let me turn this around on okay. you. You, Randy, have been spending a lot of time working on everything from financial analytics to sales analytics. And I know recently you have been working with the HubSpot data to create, um, you know, really some, some interesting reports kind of go above and beyond what we get out of the box. So yeah. maybe from a, from an engineer, a data engineer, a developer, but also a consumer perspective, can you talk about, how you put together the perfect metric or the perfect KPI. Yeah, so KPI, key performance indicator, is um, it's definitely an enterprise term that I think people may have heard. But uh, for us, it, it's a number that we track over time to indicate how our performance is. And this isn't industry specific. This could be any anything you're trying to do, right? Your car probably has KPIs. The gas um, measure and mileage, like those are, those are KPIs telling you how your car performs. So in my case, um, 
it's kind of a learning experience. It's really just this year that I've moved from more technical into uh, technical sales. Um, so starting out, really wanted to get a handle on how marketing works. Like, how do we make sure that a blog post we wrote is actually getting in front of the right eyeballs and actually has resonance and it was worth the investment. And so uh, we added some Google Analytics tracking. We uh, added some, for our different platforms, some monitoring for like the podcast to see you know, what actually gets listened to. And that can help us determine what to build. But then the next step was, okay, we have eyeballs. People are engaged. They like this. How do we turn that into a valuable relationship? How do we take that to the, the next level? And that's what we're really trying to use the HubSpot uh, information for. So the first thing I did was migrate that into Snowflake, which is our cloud data warehouse um, using Fivetran. Uh, so I didn't have to write any custom code. It just showed up one day and it's shows up on time. I can have that go in there hourly or even more if I wanted to. And then it was time to dive into some SQL. So when I think about a KPI, I have three major things that make it useful. Because if you have 20 KPIs that don't actually tell you what to do, they're not that useful. So the first one is relevance. Um, that sounds obvious, but sometimes you have KPIs that are around for just like legacy reasons, like because that's how the industry expects it. And okay, maybe you do that, but it needs to be relevant to the problem you're trying to solve. So for us, um, sales, one metric that we we measure is the number of deals that we enter. Uh, that's a great KPI for measuring both market response and then also our effectiveness at converting like a, a view on a page to an actual discussion that has uh, an opportunity to go forward. But the problem with KPIs is once you start measuring something, you reduce the effectiveness of that measure. So if we, for example, decided we're going to give bonuses to the top deal maker at HashMap, you suddenly destroy the value of the number of deals because people will just throw deals in for no reason, right? So striking that balance um, is important. The next step is making your KPI actionable. So if you have a KPI that only tells you things that have happened in the last quarter, at the end of the quarter, and doesn't give you any ability to change what will happen next quarter, it's not a useful KPI. It's it's interesting, right? To be like, oh yeah, that's cool. COVID came through um, and our deals dropped by half, like something like that. Um, but if you can't do anything about it, it's not a particularly useful uh, KPI. And the last part is automated. Um, if the KPI takes a ton of work, and I see this at companies all over, enterprises, they come in and ask us to help, in large part, build data infrastructure that'll help them automate this process. Um, if your KPI is only updated manually and has bugs because manual processes have failures and it only gets updated every four weeks, I mean, how much can you really drive day-to-day decisions off of that? So for us, KPI daily is a good target for us uh, so that we can make changes. And then uh, weekly, we discuss the series of KPIs to be able to make you know, group changes uh, to tweak a specific technology. Like if we see an uptick in interest over like a new technology, Maybe we use that information to drive more marketing content because people are interested in it. And then we see if that response that results in more deals. So those are the three things in KPIs I think about. Um, but that, that's kind of a data perspective on it. No, those are those are fantastic. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the some of the the metrics and KPIs that I look at on a daily basis. And you hit on one of them. You know, we March, April, May were tough months. I mean, I think for everybody. Yep. Doesn't matter if you were a a small consulting firm like us, large organization, anything in between in the industry. And for us, you, you mentioned how many deals were created. Those months were historically low for us. I mean, we created some, but they were very low. And then as we started to come out of that, June really spiked. And 
one of the things that we did that you alluded to as well, we really did ramp up the content creation early on in that that spring time frame. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not a perfect correlation to say because of all the content that we created, then, you know, everybody is, is seeing the Hashmap brand out there more. But there is some relevance to that. There's no doubt about it. And um, I think the the other one that uh, that I continue to look at to see how it's changing as the the world economy and the U.S. economy continues to shift and you know try to find our footing here in the second half of the of the year just starting out is uh, you know at, for us average deal size right yep. so we've been pinging off of a, a particular number the last couple of years it's been pretty uh, sta- uh, pretty uh, standardized what our average contract size is. And, you know, during uh, that March, April, May timeframe, it, it went down by probably two thirds, right? So yeah. it, it, it took a hit and now we're starting to trend back up again. And I don't know that we're, you know, we're not really doing anything different, but you're seeing in these KPIs, uh, as you said, it's interesting to look back on those. What can I do to be proactive for that next quarter? based on what I've seen or based on what I know is coming, right? Yeah, something that we noticed was that for specific technologies and specific industries, um, we really we really paid attention to industry uh, during some of the COVID stuff because certain industries were just decimated and other right. industries are booming. It's kind of weird. So how can we, how can we um, support the industries that need a, a slightly different offering, but also capitalize on the needs of the growing industries? And something we really focused on was for certain technologies, the, the deployment of a solution is pretty repeatable across industries. And we understand that space very well. So our Snowflake, like data ops offering, for example, that is such a well understood problem space for us across different industries that we could afford to generate a pre-crafted velocity package. And when we saw deal sizes started to get smaller and for a specific industry, they wanted to do kind of the same thing across, across the spectrum. Our, our action, right? like how do you keep these things actionable? Our action was to build the product offering that would meet that demand. And by doing that, we find that people, they really do want to go a little further. So they start with that, but then they start realizing all the things that are possible that it just, it wasn't possible when your report took two months to run to actually go the next level and do more analytics. But now that it's, I mean, literally updated every time you refresh the page, what new things are possible? Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a shift from maybe two years ago when um, our, our sales strategy or, or a lot of our projects, they were a lot larger, but there were fewer in between big companies and they were doing Hadoop work. And the Hadoop work didn't need us necessarily. I mean, we tried to maintain subject matter expertise, but you didn't necessarily need to know how to make value out of Hadoop. You just had to keep it running because uh, no, no matter who the company was, they needed someone to keep the cluster up. Yeah. So that shift, it, it's affected um, how we sell, but also the different kind of product offerings that are, are compelling and some of the industries we get into as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you talked earlier about the ability for um, the KPIs reporting, the kind of things that you're making decisions off every day. How can you make those as actionable as possible? And, you know, for us, we've got a pretty wide range of, uh, of people and skills Uh you know, you're going to have extremely technical folks in the organization. You're going to have technical folks that maybe are at a managerial level. Maybe they're not deep in the technical weeds anymore. You've got sales, you've got marketing, you've got operations. How do you uh, really achieve this actionability uh, for those insights for a, a pretty diverse team across different 
technical capabilities, different technical levels? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's one I struggled with. So uh, starting out, I thought Tableau could do everything. And then I realized a lot of people just won't log into Tableau. And then when they do, sometimes the Snowflake credential that I'm using, like it doesn't work for that specific person. And the first time they go through the trouble of logging in and it didn't work, they're never going to use this again. So it became clear that if I wanted any of our analytics outcomes to be actionable by management or by different sales folks, or even some of the technical people that focus on different areas than you know BI, we have to meet them where they currently are, where they feel comfortable. So my kind of design is integrate with Slack. Everyone in the company is on Slack. We have it on our phones. We have it on our, um, our, our computers. We use the web browser for it and everyone feels comfortable with it. We send gifts, we use all these things. So if I can get an analytic insight into Slack, it can be actionable for someone. Um, so I really designed for that lowest level of technical comfort. And the thing that makes that really easy is a tool like Looker um, or even Sigma, we have different things there. So cost monitoring in the cloud, those are all Slack alerts if we spike too much, or if I just wanna see what the last report is, even, even though I, I created the reports, I feel comfortable logging in. I have a daily snapshot that goes straight into a, a Slack channel dedicated for cloud cost reports. I'll just go check there. It's so easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as much as HubSpot has revolutionized the way that we've approached data from a sales and marketing perspective, we could probably do a whole nother show on Slack. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I love it. Hey, for the real quick, though, for those uh, folks that maybe aren't as familiar with Looker or Sigma, quick, uh, what yeah. what are these tools? Yeah, so this, this whole data ecosystem we're talking about, um, we have ingestion, the transformation, like Snowflake, right? Uh, and then you have consumption. And that can take different forms, but mostly when we're talking about BI consumption charts, um, there's a family of tools that are really popular. Tableau, Power BI, Looker is a cloud native version of this owned by Google GCP. Um, and they do a great job of making the data governable. So I don't have to worry about exposing, because some of this data is a little sensitive, right? Uh, financial data. And even if we, if we like ingested some of our um, accounting software, people's salaries would be there. So having a tool that really let me lets me tightly govern who can access it, um, specifically even for like compliance reasons, Looker's fantastic at that. And then it also integrates with Slack, just like how HubSpot has so much power because of its integration capabilities. Um, Looker's ability to send uh, a Slack message that is an image of the chart, right? It means that none of my sales team have to log into a tool they're not comfortable with or understand how Snowflake credentials work. Um, and, and I don't have to worry about them like wondering what the latest report is. It always shows up and it, and it lasts for a long time too. So you can see how it changes over time without tweaking uh, a chart. So that's where Looker stands in. Um, Sigma is another good tool, but they take more of like a, like an Excel in the cloud approach. Gotcha. So they've got some cool data transformation capabilities and you can like publish publicly, which as a consultant, I love. So some of this data, like our cloud usage, it's not particularly proprietary and we can share that publicly. So anyone who wants to see how this works, like Snowflake, cost monitoring. Well, here's a live chart from a real instance used today. So that's why we have a mix of BI tools in our, our kind of war chest. We're vendor neutral, of course, so we work with all of them. But um, I personally really enjoy Sigma and uh, Looker. And then, you know, Tableau is really fun to work with. It's just, it's not my favorite for publishing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of those uh, Slack bots that hit my feed in Slack uh, on various channels with the reports. And I, just like you, I do that. If I need a question answered. I know that's there. I'll immediately go to that channel and you know just scroll up. Oh yeah, there it is. Boom, done. Yeah, just very very easy. So I like that proactive pushing it out 
to the appropriate uh, to the appropriate teams. So uh, another another question for you. So you've got so you have you've kind of you you've bridged this chasm of you know full on engineering to sales engineering, right? So uh, yeah. that a lot of nuances with that. And I think a lot of times, uh, maybe it, maybe it's more in in larger companies. You know, you've got the sales organization market. We're gonna we're gonna do it all on our own at, at Hashmap. I mean, we're small. We really have to, you know, kind of pull from everybody and use a lot of different skill sets. What what would you say or what advice would you give for any sales and marketing team of any size that really wants to accelerate their ability to do more with their sales and marketing data? Yeah, that's good. Um question. I, I probably have like a, a like a, a bunch of different answers for this. Um, the first one I would say is really kind of try to focus on the human element of this. Um, you don't need to have advanced automated pipelines to leverage your data right. So if we had none of our analytics, all we did was once a week do our sales meeting and gather around the latest HubSpot um, entries, that would be really useful because it gets context across some of our marketing folks and to our sales folks. Um, th that's the kind of thing that allows us to build industry specific pages when sales tells us, look, the financial industry wants to work with us, but they have slightly different use cases than are just our banking information. Can we generate that? Um, we also try to re really de-silo our marketing and sales data. Um, and if, if you're in an environment where you have Facebook ads, Google ads, um, Adobe has their kind of sweet Marketo. They have that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you also have your sales information, which is in a totally different, maybe a HubSpot or a Salesforce. It's impossible to get those to all work together. And if you're not combining the context of those um, those sources, you're missing something, right? So I would de-silo as much as possible. That's where a tool like Fivetran really comes in handy because mm. there's no value. That's a, that's a solved problem. Just grab it, get the data sync, call it a day. You finish it in 20 minutes, right? And, and then it's all an analytics question. Who's your team? What do they need? And how do you revisit to keep things fresh? Because uh, one of the problems with Slack that we try to combat is I can, I can send as much information as I want. Uh, but if, it, if it's mostly trash or only interesting to me because I like pretty dashboards, then people stop paying attention to it and it stops being so relevant. So we got to make sure we're focusing on the signal more than the noise in our analytics. There are a few others that I think not everyone can do, but integrating data folks into your actual business mm. team, this is a good advice across all industries. But um, I come from a data engineering background. So coming in and understanding the challenges that we're facing as a sales and marketing team, it becomes a lot more clear to me what to build, where if I wasn't embedded in this team, I'd just be like, Y'all want to see Google Analytics over time? Like, okay, that's interesting, but we can't we can't do anything with yeah, it. Yeah, how, how actionable is that really, right? Yeah, so that's where you got to really focus on when you get this data together, find out what drives success. So having some metric, and sometimes it's revenue. That's a really easy one, right? Um, but in different industries, maybe it's some validated learning or number of customers, monthly active users, right? Different SaaS companies, they have different metrics that they need to, they need to focus on. So for us, being able to focus on those drivers of success and see what correlate if a specific industry is really highly successful for us. They have a short lead time. Um, they're generally recurring customers for us, uh, which indicates that they found value in the relationship. Um, and then specific uh, technologies that we can focus on. Like it, it might be super profitable one time to do a blockchain deal, but if it takes you six months to find one single blockchain customer and, it only, and it's like a one-time deal, that's not worth doing. So th those are some of the questions we try to answer. Like, what should we focus on being vendor neutral? 
that is really going to deliver value for the industries we focus on, um, but also keep us you know, ahead of the curve as things change. So if a technology starts to dwindle, how can we be aware of that? Those are the things I really think about. And then, of course, I try to re- reach out to experts. Mm. Um, HubSpot, they'll reach out and give you kind of a sales pitch, but it's not it's like a training almost. Um, one of the new technologies we've implemented for tracking some of our uh, our site traffic is called Lead Feeder. Okay. And normally, it, when I technologists like I'll read the docs, uh, but when they reached out and said, "Hey, do you want just like a quick overview of the product?" I said, "Yes," just kind of on a whim, because I had a specific question that I didn't want to. I was too lazy to read the docs for, and they gave me so much value into how to actually use these tools to drive sales, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's what actually matters. So. Across that, I would, I would tell people, really focus on getting your data in one spot where you can use it. Talk to experts who can help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls of just churning your wheels. Um, bring the data insights to the lowest level of that technical capability so that everyone can take part. And then revisit those insights over time. Because things that were really interesting to us uh, early on when we were just starting marketing, they're not as important for us. We're trying to shift, now that we've matured some of our different channels, we wanna shift towards individual topics that are interesting. And that's a different kind of reporting. So coming back every week or every month and making sure that what we deliver is useful to people, that's really powerful. No, that's great. And I, I know that uh, on the reports and analytics that I get in, in Slack that you're responsible for a lot of those, there's usually some nugget that I can pull out of that. Um, at least one or two things and uh, you know get, get a little more insight into what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. I think that you know, you look back 10, 15, 20 years, even long, long time ago, and you go, man, I was paying so much for this CRM-like thing. And today, yeah. like you said, I could add a lead finder at a really low subscription. I can have a portfolio of SaaS-based tools, HubSpot, Lead Finder, a few other things, and get incredible value around the data that I need to really drive my business from a revenue perspective. It doesn't cost tremendous amounts of money to make this stuff happen. And you don't have to do it all at once. That's been mm-hmm. something that's interesting to me because I felt really overwhelmed, like back February timeframe. Um, we saw that things were going to calm down and it was a great chance for HashMap to refocus our sales and marketing efforts. When when business is good, it's easy to like focus on being busy, especially with a small team and we deliver value. But we take this opportunity when there's a little downtime in between things to really tighten the ship a little bit. And I look back at our site traffic, our YouTube traffic, our our content generation is just so much more matured now. It's a well-oiled machine. And now we can focus on those higher level uh, concerns. That's been powerful for me as a learning. And I thought back then, well, if I don't understand how to do all the tracking upfront at once, I can't do anything. And it was easy to just especially with a tool like Fivetran, like, okay, Google Analytics seems to be popular. We have it already. We just haven't really done much with it. What would be an interesting question to ask? And one was like, okay, do people really care about our podcast? Are people coming to the podcast? Um, and then we found that they are. So we doubled down on generating more content. And then we find that, okay, people really like the interviews, especially when you talk about a solution, not necessarily when you're just talking about a specific component of a technology. Um, so can we double down on that? So we're using that cycle to inform And then the next question is, okay, but like, how do we get people to reach out to us if if they have an actual question? How can we engage in in an actual dialogue? And that's where some of our forms came in. And so we had forms on the website. Of course, we had the contact us form, but you had to know where to click to get it. So one of the insights was, what if we tried to drive more traffic to contact us? The hypothesis being, if more people could see that page, 
they would fill it out more often. So it was the simplest change in the world, right? We just took the contact us page and put it in the top right of the web page. Wherever you are, you can see contact us. Yeah. And right away, we saw a spike in people contacting us. And not all of them were like ready to go hot lead. Some of them were just interested in chatting. And that's cool. You know, we like that. But some of them have been really large companies that I think we're about to close business on with. So just a small change there. And it didn't require being experts. I didn't necessarily need to even put this stuff outside of Google Analytics. Google Analytics has slow but generally workable graphics. Um, so that's been kind of a learning for me. And now we're up to the stage where it's not just sales content generation and measuring that, but specifically identifying which industries, which companies are responding to individual components of our offerings. Mm. And then we can follow up with them in a way that's relevant, right? Not just shooting out security analytics to a company that's mostly focused on digital advertising. Yeah, no, this, this is great. I, I think that uh, your tip on reaching out to experts to do more with, with sales day is incredible. And you look at, I guess I'll give HubSpot another, yet another plug today. Um, if you are <laughs> if you are into sales and marketing uh, strategy process community, subscribe to the HubSpot sales and marketing any any blogs that they have. Just subscribe to it, email list, everything. It is incredible, and again, it's it's a non sales type thing. It will help you do more, do better in your sales and marketing uh, career. I hope that people see that same kind of thing for what we turn out from a engineering and technology uh, blog perspective. I'd, I'd love that same sort of, of of momentum. So I guess I should say subscribe to our blog as well. Join us on, uh, on Medium. Yeah. That's definitely something that I've taken from being a vendor neutral consultancy is it's on, in our DNA that we don't focus on like, oh, we have to sell this technology because that's how we get money. It's we focus on what's good for the customer because yeah. the long term relationship, it's good. It's like it's, it's being a good citizen in, like in the world, but it's also good business to be long term success oriented with your client, whether whether you do one project, 20 projects, it leads to better outcomes. So that's in our DNA. And you see it, I think, in our content where my first question on a piece of content is, is this useful? Right. And just driving, following that, kind of like HubSpot is, like it's a value-based relationship um, where we're really trying to generate trust more than anything. That's that. I mean, that's satisfying from a content generator perspective, but also from sales and marketing perspective. Randy, great insights. I have, uh, over the course of the last uh, few minutes, been able to drain my, uh, my love street blonde here. So uh, I'm feeling pretty okay. good about that. Good, man. I... Um... I'm probably due for a refill at some point. Uh, I know I probably have a little more work to, to do today, but um, yeah. Well, this is the first show that we've done together. What do you think? Is it a wrap? I think it's a wrap. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, ready for the conclusion here. Um, as always, really thank you for uh, being a supportive audience member, for, for checking out our content and subscribing. Um, if you'd like this content, please share it with your friends, uh, share it with colleagues, and subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Uh, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.